Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. On Sunday, August 14th, we kick-started a new series coinciding with the beginning of school called Crash Course that will go along with our Wednesday night book study on Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible? Maybe the Bible has been a mystery to you your entire life. Maybe you don't feel like you know enough to really understand it. Maybe you disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament or have no idea how Jesus connects to Adam and Eve. Maybe you've never read it. Maybe you've had the Bible used against you because of your gender or your sexuality or your race or your ethnicity. First, as a pastor and someone who really didn't come to love scripture until I was in seminary, I'm sorry if it's ever been used against you or used to express anything else than how much God loves you. In our children's moment during worship on August 14th, we talked about how there are 66 books in the Bible, many chapters within those and many verses within those, but there is one main thing that the Bible teaches us, and it was a song that we've known our entire lives. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Here is crash course number five. What are the epistles and an apology and word of hope? Today we are in the final week of crash course. A five-week study where we flew about 30,000 feet over the Bible to learn just what the Bible is and is to us. We started way long ago with the Torah. We moved into the work of the prophets. Last week we talked about the Gospels, and today we'll touch on the epistles. And even as we're concluding our book study today, or this week, this morning I handed our book for the book study to someone to read who's curious about what this book is. So if you're curious, if you still have questions, if you're looking for answers and can't find them, I probably can't help you, but I would love to have coffee with you anyway and talk about it. Today, the epistles or the letters were written to a group of early Christians who were living in a time where they were trying to figure it out. (laughs) They were trying to figure out how to help and grow and establish a group of people who were moved and convinced and convicted that the love of God was shown through the life and death of Christ and that that stood against the empire of the day that followed greed and thought control, and the subjugation of anything different. If we go back to that picture I I gave you a few weeks ago, if we put all of the books of the Bible on a bookshelf, on the left side of this picture, you'll see the Old Testament, the Torah at the top, uh, the historical books in the middle, and then we get to those prophets in the middle, 
If we go over to the right side, you'll see the New Testament, those four uh, gospel texts, Acts, <laughs> the formation of the church by itself on the bookshelf. And then we get to a lot of letters. And those letters, that will be what we're focusing on today. We are talking about the books that are after Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after the book of Acts or Acts of the Apostles. Remember that Jesus did not establish the church. That was the day of Pentecost. You remember back in May, we had a birthday party for the church. Uh, Pentecost, the Spirit comes and establishes the church, even though as Christians, we follow in the footsteps of Christ. We get to these 21 letters, the, the last part of the Bible. Some would say 22 if you count Revelation because its format is technically a letter, although it really falls under a prophetic text as well. And of these, um, of these letters, 13 are attributed to Paul, even though some of those we can find questions about. And sometimes even in the chapters of the book, we're not sure if this chapter was attributed to Paul because, you know, Paul attributed to Paul, or Paul called Paul, Paul, and me, so it raises doubt. A few weeks ago, there was this, um, the speaker's notes going around on Facebook that was talking about the general format of the letters. And I loved it. I thought I would share it with you. The format of Paul's letters goes something like this. Grace, I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel for the love of everything holy. Stop being idiots. And Timothy says hi. When I was young, I became pen pals with my cousin Lauren, who lives in Clarksville, Tennessee. I don't remember what was in those letters that we sent back and forth to each other. I remember the day that she moved to a new house because I couldn't remember her address anymore. But I do remember we would draw on the letters or put clip art, you remember clip art, on the letters. Or we would make the letters, every single line would be a different color. Or sometimes, some of you remember, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase. But there's this really fancy way you can print things. I guess from Microsoft Word is what I use to type these letters when I type them. There's this fancy way that you can print letters where you print them as a mirror. So everything you look at, it's not that you would read it backward, but it's, you would have to hold it up in the mirror and then read the mirror of what it said. And I remember we got into a back and forth where we did that too, where we'd write, you have to read this letter as if it was like a secret language that we had, but really it was just a printer capability, I guess. But in a way... That's also how we look at the epistles. There was something going on in early Christianity, in the early church. Somehow, Paul gets wind of what's happening within the early church communities. And then Paul decides to write back, to tell them about what they're doing. In a way, when we read the epistles, we're almost reading in a mirror, trying to distinguish 
what was happening in the early church, even as Paul describes it. But again, we're a few degrees removed, as we've kind of discovered we are in a lot of scriptural texts. Each epistle addresses an issue in the early in the early church. And there's some repetition among them. I'm sure you'll notice if you were to sit down and read all of the epistles. But their purpose is to weave together what we believe with who we are and what we do. And still, that's the battle of what we're fighting today. Weaving together what we believe with who we are and what we do. As we finish up Rob Bell's book this week in our book study, I want to share with you um, one of my favorite chapters, uh, a little bit from one of my favorite chapters that he wrote. He talks about 1 Corinthians 3 chapter 3. And he quotes this part. It's actually at the end of the third chapter. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And he says this. Why does Paul write this? Because they've been arguing about their favorites. Imagine a church arguing about their favorites. Their fondness for their particular teacher had become so intense that there was quarreling and jealousy among them. This makes Paul mental. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? answer of the church, he says, is, of course, uh, yeah, we're human beings. But he's getting at something bigger here. He's calling them to transcend the usual petty ways that we divide ourselves. Back then, people tended to make celebrities out of their leaders, developing allegiances to one and then arguing for why that one is liked better than that one. Rob Bell's words, way different than how it is today. Wink. There's a lot going on here, he says, but at the most basic level, Paul is calling them out of their division and quarreling by showing them how the divine uses a lot of people to do a lot of different things to help us grow and mature. I'm going to go ahead and end the crash course right now. But before class is dismissed, I, I want to offer um, that maybe, maybe I had an agenda throughout the crash course. Shocking, I know. I wrote part of this before we even started. Um, anticipating today, but I also finished this up as we went throughout our study and even some this morning. As we finish talking about the Bible, I want to offer you an apology and a word of hope. I'm sorry for the ways that Scripture has been used to hurt you. I'm sorry for the ways that Scripture has been made to seem finite 
and final. I'm sorry for the ways that the Bible has been used to clobber you or people that you love. I'm sorry if the Bible has been made to seem boring. I'm sorry if the Bible has been taught to you as if it is a God instead of leading us to God. I'm sorry if, like Isaac, you have been led to believe that traumatic experiences are God's will. I'm sorry if, like Abraham, you have tried to follow God with all your heart, only to find out you made some mistakes along the way. I'm sorry if the Bible has been used to justify segregation by words lost in translation or black and white thinking or warped into justification. I'm sorry if, as a woman, you're in a place where you can downplay 1 Timothy, but you still find yourself treated as disposable as Sarah treated Hagar. I'm sorry if violence has been justified because it's in the Bible. I'm sorry if the Bible has made you fear God. I'm sorry if the Bible has made you doubt God. I'm sorry if the Bible has made you fear the afterlife instead of focusing on where you are right now. I'm sorry if the Bible has been boxed in with a ribbon. I'm sorry if the Bible itself has been a golden calf. But I hope, I hope at the end of the day, The Bible leaves you with more questions than answers. I hope the workings of God in the universe are mysterious and a lifetime's worth of seeking rather than a day's worth of knowing. I hope you are rocked by stories with no explanation. I hope your explanations for stories are rocked. I hope you don't lose sight of Jesus in scripture. I hope you don't restrict who God is, but you expand what love can be. I hope the Bible is a gift, not a sword. I hope the Bible teaches us, but it doesn't bury us. I hope the Bible challenges us, but it doesn't lose us. I hope the Bible ties us together, but it doesn't make us uniform. I hope you follow in the footsteps of Peter, who denied Christ in the dark moments of his death, but was the rock upon which the church was built. I hope you have the boldness and audacity of the women at the tomb, who all four gospels share was women who were the first gospel preachers, who declare that Jesus is alive, regardless of the world, who tells you he can be killed off. I hope you read the story of the Israelites through the lens of what Christ is. I hope you recognize the links that God will go to liberate God's people from oppression, including parting the very ocean that God created. I hope you know that God wants you to be safe. I hope God's presence and promise to the Israelites shows you that God is, that that good, your goodness is important and God's presence with us may not be what we expect, but it will be consistent. I hope the Israelite story reminds you that God doesn't leave us even if and when we mess up. I hope the Bible shows you that the church is made up of people who are trying and who need your encouragement. I hope the Bible shows you that the best way forward may not be a way that you've imagined before. I hope the Bible continues to live in and enliven you. 
I hope the Bible is not a basket of picked cherries, but an abundance of proof that God has created and sustained us out of love for us from the beginning of time into this very moment. I hope the Bible tells you how much Jesus loves you because yes, Jesus loves you. I hope the Bible transforms the way you think and feel about everything. Amen.